So if you're new, my name is Rob Jacobson, pastor of Restoration here, and I am so excited to see you today, and I'm excited to see what God has to show to us today, not just about um, his word and his truth, but the experiences that we see in our life and how he speaks to us in the midst of those things. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the music and the words and the community and the prayers today. God, for a chance to hear uh, through the youngest and the most innocent of hearts, God, the truth that you are with us, that you care about us, and that you speak to us. God, thank you for the songs that remind us that you are King Jesus, that, that you are love, and that you bring us back to you. God, in order for us to to really understand that and believe that and follow that, we need to acknowledge that, that we've wandered, that, that we have a need to come back, that somewhere along the way we became burdened or we became distracted. So I pray that you'd speak to us about that today, God, and that you would lead us, lead us to you and to a deeper relationship with you. Amen. Well, I got to return recently from being gone for six weeks, being on a sabbatical for six weeks, trying to find uh, where I could best experience life, how to experience God. And one of the ways that I thought to do that was to go hiking for, I don't know, a little over 100 miles on the Superior Hiking Trail. I thought that would be a real, that would be just an amazing way to experience life. And as I met people along the way on this trail, I found that everyone is trying to experience true life, real life, life to the fullest. Maybe at the end of the summer here, as we reflect in this Labor Day weekend, maybe you are recounting the summer and realizing that really, except for Monday and half of today, you might even run out of here in the middle of this message because you you realize that there's so little time left of the summer and you want to squeeze every last drop out of the summer just in case you miss something in what would we, we would call life. Sometimes we, we learn and study people who have mastered some aspect of life to try, and, to try and grow in our understanding of what real life and true life is. Sometimes we follow people who claim some of the things that we cherish and desire so much in our life. We might read their blog. We might follow their teachings. We might, you know, invite others to go on a journey with us of some guru, some master, some, I would dare to say, Messiah, small m. See, These might all be good things, but will they be real life? There's a spiritual director and a writer and teacher who passed away named Basil Pennington, and he reported that that unhappiness is always the result of one of three things. The inside, outside, upside, downside thing, the happy all the time. That not everyone is happy all the time because... There are people who who feel like they are not able to do something they really want to do. And they are burdened in their quest to experience true life. There are others who are not getting to have something that they really want or think they should have. And they are burdened in this journey towards life. And then there's others who are just too concerned for what others might think or say about them. And they are, again, burdened in this way of true life. And so how do we find the way to true life? Is there one way to that true life? Is it clearly explained? And and do we have pretty good evidence? I would say, do we have 
very solid evidence that this is the way to true life. So I thought maybe on this hike that I would do that I would, I would relearn to walk with God. Not for God, not because of God, but just with God. And that I would maybe, I knew this symbol or this um, analogy of hiking and hiking lighter would, would f- come into play because my family and I had just sensed in our prayer time with God that, that we needed to, to carry less to create some room, to create some margin for us to experience things that we truly, not just were good, but that were best. And as we grow and we mature, we realize that, that decisions in life are not always between good and bad, but they're between good and best. And so, fortunately, I had made a lot of the beginning hiking mistakes five years ago, and so I wasn't going to repeat those again. See, a lot of times people look at a backpack if you're a hiker, and, and you might be a school person, and so you might be thinking, you know, I'm going to have a whole bunch of books, so I need a really thick backpack. I need one with big, thick pads so I can carry all this stuff. And so, so I did that five years ago, and, and I brought all of this stuff, and I thought, well, I'm going to be sleeping in a small tent with two other men, and, and we're not going to be showering for a few days, so I'm going to bring an extra change of clothes as a consideration for these guys. I might even bring two sets of clothes. And look, I've got this little pocket lantern that, you know, is only eight ounces, and so, and, and it, it's also a flashlight, so I don't have to bring a flashlight, and I think I'll bring that. And, oh, this little inflatable pillow, that would just add a little bit of comfort to my life. And so, I'm, you know, and that's only 11.2 ounces, and yes, you're right, I did weigh everything. I got a little obsessive, and so I got a lot obsessive, supposedly, and so I, and, and I wanted, you know, just a nice little chair to maybe rock back in after hiking for 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 miles, and so I bring all this stuff, and I have this huge backpack, and I get to my friend's house, and he looks at me, he goes, we're going to be gone for three days, and I'm like, I know, but, you know, this is the backpack I have, and, you know, I got all my stuff in here, and he's like, no. I'm like, but, you know, I just, I want to, I want to, I want to hike and enjoy it. And he's like, you're not going to enjoy carrying a 42-pound backpack. And I'm like, no, it's really not 42 pounds. You know, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I know we're going to share this. And he pulls out this um, fish scale, and then he grabs uh, a third of the food and a third of the water and puts it in my backpack and then hangs it on the scale at 46.2 pounds. And he says, this is not going to be enjoyable. And so he starts chucking stuff, (laughs) literally. He's like, what are you, a grandma? No offense to grandmas out there. But at whatever age I was at the time, in my early 30s, I was not a grandma. And so he's like, you don't need this chair. And he hands me this little tiny piece of foam pad that's about this big, and he goes, here, here's your chair. And then he looks at all the clothes I'm bringing, he's like, chucks this, chucks this, chucks this, chucks this. I won't go into the details, because some of you might not want to know them, but let's just say I had one change of clothes and one jacket. And then he starts taking out this, and actually he then just chucks my whole backpack that weighed six and a half pounds, and he gives me his wife's backpack that weighed about one and a half pounds. He's like, here use this. And I'm like, but the pads, the arm pads are really small, and, um, and it's, it's, 
you know, really compact. And he's like, it'll all fit. Just relax. And so, sure enough, we get this thing, and it weighs 32 pounds when we start. And when we end, it weighs 19. And so over the course of those three days, I realized the, dif- I realized the difference between what is a luxury, what is a necessity, and what is unnecessary. And sometimes in our faith and in our life, the very same things happen. We start adding things that are luxury. You know, the pocket lamp, it was great. It really was. But when I went this time, I didn't bring the pocket lamp, and I saved those eight ounces because I just read on a little glow light nook thing. And so I didn't need that lamp. Then when I looked at this chair, I realized, hey, that foam pad, that worked. It was, it was luxury, you know, before, so I don't need that. This is, this is probably not a necessity, but I have room for this. And we, we realize the things that are luxury that, that really, really do weigh us down. We also realize things that, that maybe are good, but are distracting us from best. This isn't just a hiking story. This is really our faith and the life that we have. And what we see in the scriptures is a people who've lost their way in the sense of they are carrying so much that they're having trouble seeing what is luxury, what is necessary, and what is unnecessary. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 5. And I would say that Jesus is the way to true life. Now, I don't think I'm going to get opposition from the group here. You might not fully 100% be on board with that, but most of us would say at least necessary to consider that Jesus is the way to true life. Now, I found many people on the trail that were looking for life. They were looking for experiences, spiritual experiences. When I talked about Jesus or when they asked me what I did and then Jesus came up and faith came up and, and religion came up, then we had quite, quite good conversations. And they were really okay with this idea that, that we are spiritual beings and we, we need spiritual experiences. These were, these were necessities, not unnecessary, and and probably not luxury. But when we talked about spiritual experiences, people talked about Jesus being uh, a mystical prophet, someone who is into all kinds of, of experiences. We talked about Jesus being a master teacher and someone that they could really look to for their ideals and teachings and follow them. And we talked about this fact that Jesus was this amazing healer and miracle worker. But everybody stopped short of saying that Jesus is the way to true life. Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is fully God, fully human, and Lord and Savior. No one said that. I want you to think about your summer. I want you to think about how many times you said that. Or how many times you heard someone else say that. It's kind of a mouthful. But is it luxury? Is it a necessity, or is it unnecessary? And, and really, what evidence do we have that Jesus is the way to true life? So we come to John chapter 5, and we see 
that Jesus has just healed an invalid man, a lame man, and, and now he's walking. And the religious leaders are accusing him of working on the Sabbath because this healing took place on the Sabbath. We looked at this last week if you were at the lake with us. And so Jesus engages these religious leaders. Now we have to read this at probably three levels, but I know you're smart, you can do this. We have to look at it for today, but we have to look at Jesus and his contemporaries and what he was saying. But we also have to look at the time that John, the writer who wrote this down, would have been writing about 50 to 70 years after Jesus' life. And there were a lot of people that were struggling in their faith and struggling with this idea that Jesus was the Messiah. So he's also writing not just exactly what Jesus said, but also what he believes Jesus meant. And we believe the Holy Spirit inspired him in that. We trust the Bible in this. And so we have to look at it from that level too. Why was this happening? So I did a little research on that. And between 100 years before Jesus' life and about 100 years after Jesus' life, did you know there were over 200 messiahs? that claimed to bring life, that were these people that were telling you the way to live, that they had this plan and this dream and this, this platform that they were sharing, and they all had followers. They all had people, if they would have had blogs, they would have been reading their blogs. If they had little chat rooms, they would have had their chat rooms. They had their chat rooms, they were just really actual chat rooms with people in a little circle. And they all were claiming some piece of life as true life. And these people would follow them because it tapped something of their desire, something that they agreed with, and something that they wanted to strive for. And so, how is Jesus any different than any of these people? That's what John writes to, too. So first, we see in this, in this section that starts in um, John 5, chapter 16, that Jesus wanted the people of his day and John wanted the people of his day. And I would say that we, of the people of our day, we need to know, we need to feel confident, necessity, that Jesus was talking about and explaining who he truly was and the way to true life. Who he truly was and the way to true life. First, Jesus starts out by basically making himself equal with God. Verse 16 says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, they began to persecute him. And he says in his defense, My father is always working, and two, I am working. And if you miss the thing he even says in verse 18, they tried even more to persecute him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also he was making himself equal with God. See, God could work on the Sabbath because God sustained life. And so if God could sustain life, then he had to work. So he was the only one who kind of got to get away with this idea that that someone could work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, 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 I can work on the Sabbath. Number one. Number two, Jesus claims this intimate, personal relationship with God the Father, with the one true God, the one who no one can see, the one who is formless, the one who appears as an angel of the world, Lord, or who might come in a revelation or in a dream or in an angelic message, but not anyone who has seen God. Even Moses, the religious leader's pinnacle um, guru, if you will, even he could only see where God had been, not God face to face. Anyone who looks at God's face would surely die. But Moses had been the closest to God's presence. And Jesus is claiming this intimate, 
personal relationship with God in the next few verses, saying the Son can do nothing by himself, but only what the Father does. He follows the will of the Father. God loves the Son, Jesus. And the Son acts like the Father because, as we all know, imitation is the best form of flattery. And God shows the Son all the things he does. Now, when you really sit down and talk to someone who's a little leery of saying that Jesus is the way to true life, have you ever asked them about what God is like? When you do, and when you start to have conversations about what God is like, you hear all these insecurities, fears, and doubts about what the Father is like. And here we see freedom. Here we see care. Here we see vulnerability, and here we see love. Jesus is trying to demonstrate to these people who God is and how close he is. But it doesn't stop there, because Jesus, if it was just that, then, you know, maybe we could just say that Jesus is very in touch with God. Jesus has this deep spiritual connection with God. But Jesus goes further to say that that God has the power to give life and raise people from the dead. The entire Old Testament, if you just read Deuteronomy 17, 18, 19, you will see that all over the place. God has that, and Jesus says, I have that. I give life and raise people from the dead. This is an exclusive power of God that Jesus says, I have. This then goes to the fact that he says, not only that, not only am I claiming to be having all the rights and privileges and powers of God, but I'm also claiming the function and title of God's Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, who will bring the world back to God's original intent. And he says it through these facts that he calls himself the Son of God, and he calls himself the Son of Man. Verse or er, 25 those who hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will ha- have life. And then verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Son of Man was a, uh, a title that was used mostly in Ezekiel and a little bit in Daniel, these Old Testament prophets who would say that, that their mission was bigger than they were, so they couldn't exclusively call it theirs, but this mission was to, to warn the people to bring the, call the people back and to see the people restored with God. And, and so Jesus claims this title for himself. He is making bold, courageous claims. He is not simply saying, oh yeah, I'm just like those other guys that you've seen, those other people who are claiming to have a way to true life. I am just claiming to be true life. He goes on and talks about judgment And so people get worried, and the religious leaders included, well, how can we trust that that Jesus is a reliable judge? Because only God is judge. And Jesus says that in verse 30, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. Why? I seek not to please myself, but to please God. As you walk through your life, as you, as you have conversations with people, how often does that come to mind for you? As I read this verse this week, I seek to please not myself, but God. 
It, in, it changed my entire decision-making process, whether I was with people, whether I was alone, no matter what time of the day. God, how can I seek to please you right now rather than please myself? And Jesus is saying, this is why you can trust me. He also says later in the chapter that, that he seeks the glory of God, not praise from other people. We'll come back to that idea. And then finally, Jesus gives witnesses to, the, to people who claim that he is the Messiah. He goes on to say, hey, John the Baptist talked about me as God's Messiah. Then he says, the works that I proclaim are only given to the Messiah. See the things that I've done. And then he finally says, you know, God has testified that I'm the Messiah. Look through the Old Testament. Look through the scriptures. The scriptures say that I am the Messiah. So if it's so clearly demonstrated through the first prophet in 400 years, John the Baptist, through Jesus' works that are clearly displayed by all the people and evidence through the scriptures, then why were these people missing the fact that Jesus was the way to true life? I would say that in the day of Jesus that John wrote about, it was the same, that 50 to 70 years later, as John and his contemporaries were struggling with this idea, that it was the same. And I would say today that it's the same. The same issues of of why we miss Jesus being the way to true life, God's Messiah. I think people get stuck in religious rules and rituals. The very first verse we looked at, What was the problem? Jesus had done this on a day that they thought they were supposed to rest. A day to remember God, to separate and be holy, to be restored to life. Isn't it interesting that the layman was restored to life on a day that was for life? But, But they got stuck in that. They got discouraged, potentially, but I I think we're pretty safe here, in the judgment of Jesus. When he starts talking about being given the authority to judge because he is the Son of Man, people got a little worried. And I think today we get a little worried with the word judgment because we get confused on what it means. There's two kinds of judgment in the Bible. One is this idea of discernment. When you read somebody else's blog, or like I read a book called The Ultimate Hiker's Guide. I read it to discern someone else's wisdom on how I could do this well, how I could hike and be happy rather than be completely miserable. And, and I think also, I just lost my train of thought in thinking about the misery of that. <laughs> All right, I'm back. And I think also, as we look at this idea of discernment, sometimes we want to choose who gets to tell us about that discernment or tell us that evaluation. So there's that kind of judgment in the Bible, which is one step for us. And then there's this other kind of judgment that is this eternal condemnation of you are not with God or you are with God. And Jesus goes on to claim how, how anyone can have that. But we get a little distracted by that or discouraged by that. So Jesus says his, his judgment is just and we can, we can seek to trust him. And then, and then he also says that 
or I think we see in this passage, that, that people get stuck and they miss Jesus being the Messiah because they get distracted by the praise of other people. Somebody compliments us, we start to think our value might come from what we do or what others say or think about us or, or what we have, and, and we get stuck in this little rut of pleasing ourselves or hearing the praise of others, and, and I would just like you to put on that backpack, picture that backpack of just, it's not necessarily evil, it's probably good, but it's just one more thing going in and one more thing going in and one more thing going in. And as we hike along the path of life, we may not be able to get there because of all the things that are weighed down. Jesus even says in, in John 5:44 that how can you believe that I'm the true Messiah when you accept glory from one another rather than seeking the glory of the one true God? So these are all the ways that people are missing it. People are getting stuck. Getting stuck in the rules, getting stuck in the judgment, getting stuck in the pleasing of myself or the pleasing of, or the praise from other people. And then finally, this idea in John 5, 39 and 40. This idea, well, well certainly we could read the scriptures and we could, we could see here. And Jesus says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. And these are the scriptures, the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is where good old Bible study comes in. These people were studying and studying and studying the Bible, and they just couldn't see Jesus in it. They just couldn't hear the Messiah in it. How could they see where he was? And, and Jesus says, look through the scriptures. I'm all over it. In fact, Moses even said I was coming, and look forward to the day that I would come. But if you talk to people, especially those that would call themselves Christians, they would say Bible study is so good. And Bible study can be good. It can be. But it depends on how you study your Bible. Here, it sounds like these people are, are reading the Bible, but they're not really searching the scriptures to, for God. They're reading the Bible, but they're not really listening for God's spirit. They might even be reading their Bible to prove their point, to affirm their beliefs, but they're not reading their Bible to test their beliefs. In fact, I would say some of these religious people that, are, that Jesus might be referring to and that John might be um, trying to write to, they love their ideas about God. But they don't love God. And these are all the ways that we can miss that Jesus is the Messiah. And a lot of them are not bad. But our good things can lead to death. And so the big question is, are we willing to ask God, what do we need to let go of that's good to discover the best? Jesus says the goal is to honor the Son, not as a miracle worker, not as a mystical prophet, not just as someone who's a master teacher, but to honor him and acknowledge him as God's Messiah, as the fully God, fully human, Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of the universe, and the one who wants to be Lord of our life. So what do we need to let go of? 
to, if you will, hike lighter? Are you burdened by worry? Does it fill your backpack? Do you wonder about how God is going to take care of you? How God is going to take care of you in your vocation? How he's going to take care of you in your family or with your friendships or in a relationship? Never having peace that God says, if I care for the grass, if I care for the birds, I'm going to care for you. He invites you to trust. Are you burdened by busyness? Going and going and going, filling your life with really good things, but, but never having the margin to stop and rest, to stop and be present. This was a huge one for me when I was not working. I got this margin back in my life, and my whole demeanor was different. And all of a sudden, five weeks, five and a half weeks into the six weeks of sabbatical, my wife said, there's the man I married. Are you burdened by the busyness of life? Do you need to take some things out to have some room for something? Maybe it's time to sit with God. Maybe it's time to have relationships with others. Maybe it's time to just sit with your Bible. Sit with your friends. Sit with your family. Enjoy the good things of life with God. Those might be some of the best. See, Jesus wants people to know that he's the way to true life. And he says in John five twenty four that true life comes from hearing the words of Jesus and believing that what he says about the one true God is actually true. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and is crossed over today, I added that word, will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life, eternal life now and forever. So what do we need to do with that? If you're, if you're a person who's like, oh, I like to-dos, give me a to-do. Rather than study your Bible this week, how about every day read and reflect on a story from Jesus' life in the Bible. This would be called meditating on the life of Christ. It would be reading or listening to an event from Jesus' life and imagining yourself in the story, asking God's Spirit to fill in the details, asking God's Spirit to engage your senses, all of your senses, asking Him to say, in light of what I'm hearing, God, how are you speaking to me? This would be called reading and reflecting rather than Bible study. Second thing that Jesus wants us to know as the true Messiah is that saying that he's the true Messiah doesn't just mean we accept his word, it also means that we accept his way of true life. Not just the words of true life, but the way of true life. He says that in verse 519. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, but he can only do what he sees his father doing. See, as we close, people think true life is what we have, what we do, and what we possess. They think our value comes from that. Think about that. What I do is power. What I have might be pleasure. 
and what others think about me or say about me, that would be praise. And Jesus says, I can let go of power. I can hike lighter because I don't need power because I just do whatever the Father tells me to do. I have this loving, radical, mature dependence. And I have peace from that. Jesus also says that I can let go of seeking pleasure because I'm not focused on just what I want. I'm focused, in verse 30, I'm seeking to please God. And then finally, Jesus can let go of the praise of others. Verse 41, I do not accept praise from others. I seek to honor God. And Jesus can hike lighter. He can, in fact, journey through some of the most perilous, challenging, and, and ultimately death, crucifixion, in his experience of life because he has let go of these things. So, I already said one of our to-dos was this idea of reflecting and reading the scriptures in the life of Jesus. The other to-do would be to meet God in the everyday moments of life. Ask his spirit at that moment, what are you doing here, God? In a good way, in an invitational way. As you meet others, God, what might you have for this conversation? In a, in a, in a change of circumstance, God, what might you be teaching me in this moment? still using your intellect, still using your gifts, still using your personality, in your, in your job, in your life, in, in whatever you're doing, asking God, he's there. He's there every moment. Just asking him for an awareness that he's there. What, are we, what do we need to let go of that's good to discover the best, the true life? Worship team's going to come back up. As you think about that, think about this, this man named Aaron who, who left Indiana for Colorado at 12 years old. Imagine moving halfway across the country at 12 years old. That would have been death to him. Where are all my friends? How am I going to start over? And yet he found life in moving to Colorado and getting to play in the outdoors. In fact, he, he enjoyed the outdoors so much that he was hiking and biking and rock climbing throughout the Rockies all the time. His mom wasn't very excited when he left his mechanical engineering career. She thought that would be death to go pursue outdoor activities as life, but, but he did that. And it was really great until one day, a Saturday in April many years ago, in a mid-afternoon that, that Aaron found himself hiking alone and he was in a deep, narrow slit in in the uh, remote part of the Canyonlands National Park in Colorado. And he loved to hike alone. And yet at this day, as he hiked off this boulder that ended up moving a little because it was wedged in some other rocks, he slipped and his hand and wrist were trapped behind an 800-pound boulder. Aaron was unable to sit. He was unable to lie down. Obviously was unable to use his right arm. And he was even unable to sleep. And he knew he was in for a difficult time. Now, I am coming off of, of weeks of refreshment, and I'm so grateful. But you might be in a place where you are in an excruciatingly difficult moment. Like there's an 800-pound boulder trapped against your wrist, and you feel stuck. And you don't know how to let go. You don't know how to hike lighter. Know that God understands exactly where you're at. 
He knows the pain of being abandoned. He knows the pain of being stuck. And God will do whatever it takes to help you. But sometimes he lets you sit. And Aaron sat for six days and one by one ruled out his evacuation and escape plans. He said it tested the limits of his physical being, his emotional being, and his spiritual being. Until one day on day six, as he says, he had a divine inspiration that solved the riddle of removing the boulder. You can see the cover of his book and probably discern what he did with a dull multi-tool to get freed from the boulder. A good right arm to have life. Sometimes the decisions to have life are unpleasant, painful, and not popular. But Jesus says, trust the Father. He is good and he loves you. And in him, you will find life. This Labor Day weekend and this fall, may you find life. May you sense it in the moments of your day, in the imagination of reading the scriptures, and in the conversations that you can have with God and with God's people. And enjoy the freedom of lighter weight. Let's pray. God, I thank you for examples of extreme decisions. God, sometimes we say we need our life to change, but we just don't want you to mess with our lifestyle. God, I thank you for rocking lifestyle moments where we can hear you, where we can sense you. God, I pray in this moment right now that as we respond in song and as we respond in prayer and as we respond with you, that we would hear you. God, that your spirit would speak to us. God, that we would have the courage to let something go. God, that we would have the courage to seek you, that we would have the courage to really study you and in it find life. God, for those that are just feeling so burdened, would you speak life to them? And who for those who today is the most exciting day, God, I pray that you would just sense, give your companionship and say it's okay to enjoy these moments, especially when they're with you. So speak to us, God. We love you. Amen.